Hello, you're listening to Panam, a podcast about Paris, the people who've lived here, the events that have taken place and the traces they've left behind. I'm Amber and today we are heading on a rather gruesome jaunt around the capital because while I was doing my research into the gibbet of Montfaucon, I stumbled upon a number of other places of execution, which I found rather fascinating and I thought you might like too. So come with me for a rather morbid walking tour if you're feeling up to it, around Paris. Now, with that in mind, just a word of caution. This might not be the best episode for little ones, as though I will not go into too much detail, the acknowledgement of death and torture do come up. So be aware of that. And likewise, if that's not for you today, then do skip this episode. Now, if you're still with me, let's get started. The most obvious dare I say, iconic instrument of doom is of course the guillotine, but I've already covered her in a previous episode. But just to refresh your memory, the main places where, during the revolution, you would have been able to witness Dr Guillotin's invention at work are today what is known as the Place de la Concorde, Place de la Nation, Place de la Bastille, as well as a few others. And of course, you can still see the stone slabs that were used where the guillotine once stood um, after the revolution at the corner of the Rue de la Coiffe-Aubin and the Rue de la Roquette in the 11th arrondissement. But the guillotine comes at the end of the story of execution in France. In fact, it was used until the death penalty was completely abolished and was, if you remember, a solution to make executions fair and painless. Before, your class and crime dictated the kind of gruesome death that awaited you. The common people were hanged, the nobles had the privilege of being beheaded, heretics were burned, regicide quartered and the counterfeiters were boiled. This is by no means an exhaustive list of the atrocious ways you could meet your end. The revolution of 1789 wished to abolish privileges and so it was decided that there would be one execution for all. Not just the wealthy had the privilege of being beheaded, everyone could be beheaded. And so the guillotine was created. How very fair. It was installed for the first time on the 25th of April 1792 in Place de la Greve, which is today Hôtel de Ville. The first person to receive this painless execution was Nicolas Jacques Pelletier, much to the disappointment of the gathered crowd. Though honestly, after what is about to come, the guillotine doesn't sound too bad. It was a far cry from the blood, screams and long-suffering of the old methods of execution. So let's get into some of that blood and suffering that the Parisians were so used to and possibly so fond of. Since we are here at the Hôtel de Ville, let's stay. So today it is the home of the town hall, as it ever was, uh, and the place in front of it is often filled with fun things like shows and music events, Christmas markets, um, sporting events, anything like that, and they are usually quite painless. There's even an ice rink which is set up in winter. But since at least the 13th century, the place, which used to be known as Place de Greve, bore witness to very different type of spectacle, the slow and often agonising death of the condemned. Apparently, the first such execution took place in 1310, although I am inclined to believe that there must have been an earlier example, but I've just not found them yet. I shall continue to look. If you happen to know of any, then do let me know. Um, Anyway, the first documented execution that I found was of a heretic, Marguerite 
Poret, who was burnt alive on the square. It was common to burn witches, and quite a number of women lost their lives here right up until the 17th century. Perhaps the most famous was Catherine Dizzy in 1680. Now, she was known as La Voisin, and she was wrapped up in the infamous affair of the Poisoners, which ended up becoming very murky as a number of important bigwigs in the court of Louis XIV, no less, were involved. But that is a story for another day. Madame de Sévigny, in one of her many epistles, describes the scene of the execution, telling that Le Voisin struggled like a madwoman and swore like a cart driver when she was on the stake. Not surprising, really. She ends her note ironically, writing, quote, I still know a thousand pleasant little tales like that one, but how can I tell them all? Which might give us an insight into how Parisians looked upon death rather as an amusing show than a deterrent, it seems. Burning was not the only means of execution that was common here. People were also hanged uh, and there was even a pillory, but more on that later. By far the most horrific and famous executions were for those people who'd committed regicide, the killing of a king. There is a particular unlucky string of Henrys who all get killed, so that is Henry II, his son Henry III, and then the next Henry, Henry IV, the first of the Bourbons. They were all assassinated. For Henry II, it was a result of a jousting accident, so not really an assassination. And though the king graciously pardoned the knight responsible, he was nonetheless killed at the Place de Greve by being quartered. The other unlucky Henrys were both stabbed by religious fanatics. Much later, Louis XV had an attempt made on his life, but this was unsuccessful. Death for regicide was quite the show. By far the most famous was that in 1757 of Robert François Demian. Now, he was the one who attempted to assassinate King Louis XV, but he only succeeded in wounding him slightly. Nonetheless, his fate was the same as those that had gone before him. He was tortured and executed. Although this was always gruesome, his seems to have gone especially badly. And I'm going to give you an idea of what happened, so skip ahead a bit if you don't want to hear about that. Now, in English, we tend to say hanged, drawn and quartered, though the real order is more often drawn, which means being pulled around on a sort of cart through the streets uh, by a horse, then hanged for a bit, but not enough to kill you. And then some more horrible things happen to you, like getting disemboweled or being emasculated, and then you're quartered, meaning your limbs are pulled apart, usually by being tied to horses. There's actually a really fascinating episode about this in the podcast Gone Medieval, so do give it a listen. The French seem to skip the drawing part, at least from what I have found, but don't worry, they came up with plenty of awful things for Damien's nonetheless. First, he was put in boots, which was a terrible sort of contraption that breaks your legs and feet. Uh, And this was a regular form of torture that they would use um, to try and get information, to find out if he had any anyone collaborating with him. So first he goes into the boots, then he was brought out into the Place de Greve and he was attached to a scaffold. His hand, the one that held the knife which he had attempted to kill the king with, was burnt with sulphur and then his skin was torn with pincers and hot oil poured into the wounds. He was emasculated and finally attached to four horses for the final painful quartering. 
This, by all accounts, did not go easily and it took some time and in the end, some help from Sanson, the executioner, before he finally was divided. Now, according to some historians, he remained conscious after three of his four limbs had been torn from his body and during the process, his hair turned white. Not surprising. In total, it took an hour and a half for all of this to be done. Finally, his body was burned so nothing would be left of him. The crowd, by all accounts, watched on enthralled by his suffering. Now, it did have quite an impact. It was so awful and gruesome and hardly a lesson to others, uh, but much more a sort of horrible show that it did help further the sentiment and cause uh, that people were asking for to find a more fair, less gruesome way of punishing people. And they did. I mean, that was the guillotine. Ironically, then, this truly awful punishment, which was carried out because Damien's had tried to take the life of the king sort of comes full circle. You see, the crowd were asking for blood and spectacle and vengeance, and they got it. And then a few years later, the same crowd would watch in delight as the king himself was murdered. Thankfully, and maybe in part thanks to Damien's and all that he suffered, in a far less sordid manner. Interestingly, it was carried out by the same executioner, Sanson. Louis was not the last king to be assassinated. His son, Louis XVII, died of neglect while in prison following the revolution. No one was executed for his death, though, but his carer was indeed guillotined. The final execution on the Place de Greve took place by guillotine in 1830. Thankfully, there is no longer any sign of this awful and bloody past, and the Place de Greve is now Place de l'Hôtel de Ville, as I've said, and the only spectacle of agony we can witness are parents forced to take their children on the ice skating rink and falling over. Anyway, let's leave the Hôtel de Ville and head up to the 5th arrondissement and to the charming Place de l'Estrapade. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it's because it's now home to Emily, as in Emily in Paris, the show on Netflix, which is both terrible in that it is far from what life in Paris is truly like, but also quite fabulous, mainly for the shoes and outrageous outfits worn by our eponymous heroine. However, had Emily been teetering home some time before 1776, she would have seen something other than her dishy neighbour. The Place gets its name after the terrible machine that once stood here, the Estrapade. Uh, I think it's called Strapedo in English, as it's Italian in origin. It, unlike the guillotine, seemed to be designed for maximum pain. Essentially, it was a high structure, a bit like a gallows, where the executioner would tie the condemned prisoners' hands behind their back before hoisting them up to the top and then letting them fall abruptly to the ground, although without touching the ground. This brutal fall caused the shoulders to dislocate and was intensely painful and could be repeated numerous times. Weights could even be added to make it more painful. Death would come from shock, heart attack or dislocation of limbs. Sometimes people were released alive, but they must have suffered greatly. It was usually reserved for thieves, deserting soldiers or Protestants during the wars of religion. Thankfully, Louis XVI abolished this barbaric punishment and so today, aside from the name, nothing remains. The only risk of dislocation one has is of your ankles if you choose to wear high heels on the charming cobblestones. So watch out, Emily. Where to next, I hear you cry? Well, we're off to the first arrondissement, to an area that was once known as the Butte Saint-Roch, which is now more or less by Metro Pyramid, not far from the opera. In the 15th century, this was 
outside of Paris proper. And you would have found a pig market. Pigs having been driven out of the city some years earlier. The reason that pigs were outside of Paris was due to the unfortunate regicide caused by one of their number. Hear more about it in my episode, The Pig That Killed a King. But it was not just homicidal porcines you would have found here. It was also a place of execution, mainly for counterfeiters. And it was quite a horrible end for them. A cauldron would be filled with water, although I have also read oil was sometimes used. Regardless, the liquid was heated and the poor condemned person immersed. Counterfeiting was taken seriously, as it was messing not only with the money, but with the image of the sovereign. Apparently, however, people complained it was too far out, and so from 1587, they moved to the much more convenient Les Halles amongst places. So let's head there now. Here we are at Les Halles, not far from the spot where Henry IV was assassinated while stuck in traffic by François Raviac on the Rue de la Ferronnière. But we are heading to the corner of the Rue Pierre Lescaut and Rue Rambuteau. Here was the site of the pillory of Les Halles, installed in the 14th century by our friend, who was cursed by Jean de Clisson, Philip VI. It was only taken down in 1789, because although execution was often the order of the day, sometimes it was first humiliation, then execution, and for a lucky few, just humiliation. So what is a pillory? A pillory is a bit like stocks, but bigger. And here at Leal was a rather grand one. Imagine a sort of octagonal tower about two and a half stories high. The first floor for Americans or the ground floor for the rest of us was used either as a shop and I've even read as a dwelling, uh, which doesn't feel great, but whatever. Then above it was the pillory, which was in a sort of turret with eight big windows opening onto a viewing platform. In the middle was a big wooden wheel with holes for the arms and head. The person suffering humiliation would kneel, I think, and their head and arms would be strapped into those holes. And they're basically put on display for the crowd below. To make it extra humiliating, sometimes people's crimes were written on a sign for all to see. And if you were extra unlucky, they would choose a busy market day to display you. Remember, Leal is where the huge market of Paris used to be, so I think it was always pretty busy. Now, the unfortunate person would be there from about 9 to 3pm, and someone would come regularly to turn the wheel so that everyone could get a good look from all sides. Passers-by were allowed to laugh, of course, and throw all manner of filth, which I'm sure was readily available, this being Paris, um, which is famously filthy. But again, this is a market, so there would have been lots of rotten food to hand. However, they were told not to throw rocks or sharp objects so as not to kill the person. Now, this might be because they were going to be executed later or they were going to be let go after being humiliated. It was most often used for embezzlers, insubordinate soldiers, beggars, pimps and blasphemers. Although on its own it sounds truly awful, it was sadly often only the appetizer to a much worse punishment, such as cutting off a limb or an ear. And if you didn't learn your lesson the first time and you were sent to the pillory a second time, you would have your upper lip cut. I'm not sure why, maybe it was just more painful. Um, a third time your lower lip would be cut, a fourth time... I've read that your lip was cut off and a fifth time your tongue would be cut out. Although in 1666, you'll be pleased to hear Louis XIV, ever the softy, made it eight times on the pillory before your tongue was cut out. That's nice. 
So, if you'd like to get an idea what this was really like, let's turn once again to our friend Victor Hugo, who describes the pillory at the Place de Greve in comparison to this one at Leal. Victor Hugo, as we know, did not approve of the death penalty. He also hated Napoleon III's renovations of Paris and liked to describe Paris as it was in his book. So we do get some great descriptions here. So let's have another read. This comes from book six, uh, part four. This populace, disciplined for waiting for public executions, did not manifest very much impatience. It amused itself watching the pillory, a very simple sort of monument, composed of a cube of masonry about six feet high and a hollow in the interior. A very steep staircase of unhewn stone, which was called by distinction the ladder, led to the upper platform, upon which was visible a horizontal wheel of solid oak. The victim was bound upon this wheel, on his knees, with his hands behind his back. A wooden shaft, which set in motion a capstan concealed in the interior of the little edifice, imparted a rotary motion to the wheel, which always maintained its horizontal position, and in this manner presented the face of the condemned man to all quarters of the square in succession. This was what was called turning a criminal. As the reader perceives, the pillory of the Greve was far from presenting all the recreations of the pillory of the Halle. Nothing architectural, nothing monumental, no roof to the iron cross, no octagonal lantern, no frail, slender columns spreading out on the edge of the roof into capitals of leaves and flowers, no water spouts or chimeras and monsters on the carved woodwork, no fine sculpture deeply sunk in stone. Hugo goes on to describe the distressing events when Quasimodo is displayed to the crowd, but we shall leave it there. Suffice to say that the pillory at Les Halles was a lot more fancy and ornate than the pillory which was at Place de Greve. So let's finish our cheery little walk by heading to another pillory and going over to the first arrondissement again, specifically to the intersection of the Rue Saint-Honoré and the Rue de la Arbe Sec. Here you'll find a little discreet fountain known as the Croix du Tréor, or we could translate it to Cross of the Draw. This current fountain only dates back to 1775 and was renovated by none other than Soufflot, the architect who built the Pantheon, so pretty fancy. But it was based on an earlier one which was apparently designed by Jean Goujon in 1529. Uh, he also incidentally designed a lot of the sculptures which are outside the Louvre, so two pretty important people are involved in its design and apparently a fountain has been here since medieval times. Today, partly because it was moved, because it was in the way of traffic, it's somewhat overlooked. But it was once quite an important place. So let's just situate ourselves. Uh, we're just a hop, skip and a jump from the Louvre really. Um, and this crossroad used to be located at the intersection of the main north-south-east-west routes into Paris. And for several centuries, it was one of the busiest crossroads. There was a lot of commerce here, but obviously, for our purposes, it was also a place of public execution. And like I said, there was also a pillory. And that carried on at least until 1698. Here, as well as all sorts of unusual punishments, you might witness counterfeiters again being boiled because the mint is just across the river. And it seems that here was a preferred place to punish people with something called essoriment or essoriage, which is the cutting off of an ear or two, which seems to have happened mainly to servants, uh, poor things, who were up to apparently, allegedly, no good. So what's so special about this fountain? Well, let's get into it. 
aside from being designed and maintained by these illustrious men, it is the name that gives us a clue to its history. The fountain itself, just to describe it, is quite discreet. It sort of sits in a little niche on the side of a building. Above it are some fleur-de-lis signs, so we know it's got something to do with royalty. Underneath that, there is a sign in Latin which basically says Louis XVI renovated renovated it. Um, fountains, of course, are very important for Paris and Parisians for water, but that's a different story. And the water itself spouts out of the mouth of a sort of angry-looking, mustachioed man who looks a bit like a sort of lion or some sort of sea creature quite strange and it falls into a little shell-shaped receptacle below Um, I'll put some pictures up on social media and all that sort of things the building itself that it's attached to is also quite interesting that was also designed by Soufflo and it's meant to look like water cascading down the side. You can see it looks quite sort of grubby and it was home to the fountain workers for some time. Um, Maybe we'll get into it another time. Anyway, back to the fountain's name. Its name refers to two different activities that were once here. So the word tréor is from an old French version of the word tiroir, which means drawer. And apparently these drawers were used by merchants in the neighbourhood to stock and display fabric. So there were clearly fabric merchants in this neighbourhood. And croix, of course, means cross. And this is because, as well as a fountain, there used to be a cross next to the fountain where the condemned were able to make their final prayers before being executed. Now, the cross was destroyed in the Revolution, and the base of the cross I have read was often used by butchers and grocers to display their wares, but there's nothing of that cross left today at all. It must have been quite a bustling place with people going back and forth in and out of Paris and all these commerce and then, well, of course, all these executions going on. I just want to end with one last anecdote about the name of the road. So it's called Arbre Sec, which means dry tree. And there's lots of ideas about where the street gets its name from. So some people say that the dry tree is referring to the gallows or the pillory you would have found here, which makes sense. Other people say, no, it's nothing to do with that. It was, in fact, a draper who had his shop here and his sign was a sort of tree without leaves. So we know that often neighbourhoods were given their names by signs. That's possible. Yet others say that the tree in question is the mythical tree in the stories of Marco Polo. And elsewhere, it is even described as the arbre sel, the salt tree, and might have had something to do with a tree covered in snow, either in real life or a sign, I don't know. So quite mysterious as to the origins of the name. Anyway, today there's no cross, there's no pillory, and thankfully no one is getting their ears chopped off. But nonetheless, this overlooked little fountain has seen a thing or two. That concludes our rather morbid little walking tour of Paris. I hope you've enjoyed it. If so, feel free to leave a review, tell a friend, or just carry on listening. It's all great for the show. I'll put up all the pictures as usual, well, in the usual places, my website and social media. I hope to speak to you soon. Take care. Bye.